0: Jesus, we acknowledge your presence by the Holy Spirit with both Dave and I as we meet under your word, submitted to your kingship, in love with your bridegroomness. We worship you, we praise you. There is not another like you. And we hold you high above ourselves and all other things, even above the heavens themselves. Your splendor covers the heavens and your radiance is like the sunlight. And you have rays that come forth from your hand. Even as Habakkuk says, you hold your glimmering spear and shoot your arrows of light. We worship you and we praise you. We bow low in our hearts to you in In joyful submission, we glorify you, Lord. Glorify your name, praise you. Lord, I ask that as we look at the revelation of Christ in the gospel itself, that you would unveil our eyes fresh for a fresh appearing, a fresh appearing in us, and in every viewer, in your holy name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, it's Eric Gilmore, Dave Papavici connecting again. And we're going to talk about the gospel. The, the text I picked to, to jump off from is 1 Corinthians chapter 15. It says this, Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel, which I preached to you. Uh, Dane Ortland says, you could actually say the gospel that I gospeled to you, Mm -hmm. which also you received in which also you stand. Praise God. By which you are saved. If biggest word in scripture, I F, if you hold fast to the word, which I preached, I gospeled to you, Unless you believed in vain, for I delivered to you as of first importance, most important thing, what I received, that Christ died for our sins, according to the scriptures, and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures, and that he appeared. Praise God. And then he goes on to talk about how he appeared to 500, and then the 12, and then him as one untimely born. But I see here a very simple gospel presentation. I see this Christ died for our sins. And in this, we have the gospel principle we are in need, and he is all that is needed. We are insufficient. And he is all sufficiency. We are unable to save ourselves. God has come as Savior. And in this, we have a daily drinking of that gospel that is partaken as we first partook. We realize our great need for Christ and then find Christ is enough for us. We have a great Christ for our need. So what do you think, Dave?
1: Yes. Uh, Yeah. Well said. It's interesting that, uh, and that's a great passage. It's a great passage. So when he starts out, he says that Christ died for our sins. And so that first word Christ, Hmm. I think it's important for anyone who's, who's listening, even. So when, when Paul is, is using that word, it's a word that, was used in the Old Testament. Um, It connects to someone who is anointed for a specific cause. So prophets were anointed, priests were anointed, kings were anointed, but the term Christ is is, is very much connected to Jesus's kingly rule and his identity and who he is. There's a promise and a covenant that God made with King David, who was the greatest of all the kings of the nation of Israel and was known as the man after God's heart. And God promised them that one from his uh, line would come and he would rule upon his throne forever. This Messiah would rule on his throne forever. And so there's actually a passage in in Acts 5, the last verse where it talks about it uh, kind of gives like a quick synopsis of the the life of the new testament church and he says every day in the temple and from house to house they did not cease teaching verse 42 and preaching that the Christ is Jesus hmm. and then and then uh, there's another one in 9 9- 22 as well acts 9 22. but saul increased all the more in strength and confounded the jews who lived in damascus this is right after he gets born again that jesus was the christ so what he's proving to them and what they were sharing with those in their community there in, in jerusalem is that this person this king from heaven <laughs> he in fact is the man jesus the man Jesus. And so uh, it's it's unique to me that the gospel begins with the identity of Jesus as the king, but not just the king left open to our own interpretation, the king who bleeds. Mm. He's the king who bleeds on a tree wow. and in this way reveals to us the face of God. It's not just Uh, I think so often when we think of the Messiah in our generation or the term Messiah, we just, we think maybe we think more, more just the sacrificial atonement portion of it, but the title itself is he is the expectant King. He is the one from, he's the one that Daniel saw in night visions in Daniel chapter seven, the one who rules at the right hand of glory. And this is the way that he conquers and reveals the person of God. He bleeds on a tree. It's interesting that Piper
0: likes to pull out the first points of the gospel are that he died according to the scriptures, meaning this is a plan. That's the first point that he makes in the gospels that this thing was planned. It's not a it's not a plan B. It was planned. And then number two, that it was an actual event. He did die. He was here. He actually did die. But then number three, it must be experienced personally. You must experience right. the forgiveness of sin, the load being lifted off, salvation life coming on the inside. Uh, and then ultimately, he, he leads to First Peter, where he says, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. At the end of all salvation, or the essence of the gospel is that we would know him, experience him, walk with him, hear him, have a living relationship with, with God. But you know, something that you said that I really feel like is very important is you're talking about the kingship, the king. I remember Gladstone said, Jesus is not a king who serves, because he's king, he serves. It's mm-hmm. a whole different, under, whole different understanding. It's not like, hey, he's so high and lofty, but then he also will, he'll then go down. No, this is, this is his way. Mm-hmm. He is this way. Um, somebody said to me the other day that the gospel and Jesus are separate. They said to me, they said, you know, you can preach the gospel all you want, but it's Jesus that needs to, it, it's Jesus that needs to be
1: preached.
0: <laughs> and I'm thinking to myself, <laughs> I don't. I don't even get it. If you remove the gospel, there's no Christ to see. If if you remove the gospel, there is no means by which we can practically have a sight of Christ. The gospel forms before our eyes the image of Jesus. And and so what do you you think about that? Have you ever heard a delineation between the two of those things?
1: (laughs) Yeah, that's a bizarre delineation. (laughs) I'm sure there's so many different things that people believe these days and and, and have believed throughout church history. But yeah, I agree with you. Absolutely. I mean, the, the gospel is the unfolding of the scriptures in a, in a statement, right? I mean, Paul makes a statement. He summarizes it's, it's the concentrated form of the scriptures in their totality in that it reveals the God of the universe, creator, King, Lord, um, by revealing to us Jesus, the son. So there, yeah, <laughs> absolutely. How do you know Jesus? How, I mean, I know when I got born again, when I got born again, God by the spirit spoke the gospel to my heart. Abraham, it says in Galatians 3.8, before he had a law, before he had a reference point for God's standards of righteousness, God proclaimed the gospel to him beforehand. Before the law, God preached the gospel, it says, to Abraham. Now, he didn't fully understand it because it was going to come to its completion through his own seed. He was going to become a you know a man through him, a nation through a nation. The son comes. But yeah, I mean, how, how can we separate God from the gospel? <laughs> <laughs>
0: it's true. Do you think that we can put these two things together? For instance, in the Old Testament, God declares his name to Moses and he, speak, he speaks of his name connected to several things, his nature, his goodness, and his glory. So he speaks of nature, goodness, glory, my name. So do you think that even as the name of the Lord is the revelation of his nature, his goodness, and his glory, do you think that in that same way, the gospel is the revelation of Christ's nature, uh, goodness, and glory? In a sense, it's a New Testament declaration of the name of the lord in a sense
1: yeah yeah i i would agree to that i would say put up against the landscape of human history Mm -hmm. because it deals with it deals with sins right he died for sins like wait a minute here's this glorious king who reveals this inward part of his compassionate loving humble nature his glory is revealed he's unveiling himself his inward parts right for sins? Like, wait a minute, across the land, you know, against the the backdrop, so to speak, or the canvas of human history.
0: (laughs) It's glorious, man. The thought is too high sometimes to wrap my mind around. We really need spirit aid to have the tremor of the gospel get into uh, our blood. I was talking to Brooke the other night, we were sitting out on the patio and I was just like, I want I see the gospel in the scriptures. I, I, God became a man. He lived a perfect life that I could never live. He lived it fulfilling the law completely. And then he suffers in my place, in my place, condemned he stood. I, I, he takes my place and then he dies, rises again, and then ascends into glory to send the spirit into my heart. So that I could, in a real way, not just mystically, but in a real way, experience a living Christ. I was talking to her, and I was just like, "I can say that, but I want to feel it more. I, I want to, I want it to go through my veins in a more real way uh, that 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 even changes me more than I've been changed. I almost feel like this cannot be fully excavated. Uh, I think we get we get bones of it." But I, I feel like the deeper you go down, the bigger the bones get. And you begin to get more of the gospel and more of the gospel. Uh, I was talking to Dane again the, the other day, and he was saying that in a sense, in the Christian life, you move on by not moving on. In other words, you stay in the gospel and let it just get deeper and deeper and deeper. And that's the progress in the Christian life. Not so, not moving past the gospel as like like you would graduate from school, like I I got my degree. I'll move on to other things now. It is the air in which we live. It is to be enjoyed more and more fully what this gospel actually is, actually making its way into our prayer chairs in in the morning, making its way into our marriages, making its way into our parenting, making its way into how we preach, what we preach, what we value, how we live our lives, all because of a tremor of feeling the real reality uh, and the gravity of
1: what this gospel actually is. What do you think? Yeah. Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. The mystery, there's, there's the mystery of the gospel, which is not something that's hidden or meant to be hidden, but it's the, it's the like mind shattering, you know, plumbing down, digging down into so that we can discover it's a mystery that we're invited into the discovery of, which, which is the beauty of it that god would become a man the son puts on flesh to marry us to the divine right i mean in this in this age in this epic or era of time we're betrothed but the day is coming our hearts are longing groaning for that day where the marriage will be co- consummated we will become one with him and and that's that's also why he's raised from the dead not just to prove and to, that he's conquered death the mm-hmm. sacrifice has been has been accepted, but also because because we ourselves now have the courage that we we will be we will be glorified forever, and mm-hmm. and he is forever the God man, and we will be one with him. It's it's interesting. I think it was also Gladstone who said one time I heard him say, and and in line with what you shared from First Corinthians fifteen, that you said that we stand in the same way that we first received, mm-hmm. and it's it's connected to a passage in in Matthew sixteen where. Jesus asks, who do people say that I am? Right. That's a gospel question. But then who do you say that I am? And he says, you are the Messiah. Again, you are the promised king that will rule upon the throne of David. Uh, the, The son of the living God. Not only does he recognize that he's the Messiah, but he also recognizes that he's the son. Because many, many Jews could have believed that the Messiah would come, but not necessarily that he himself was going to be the embodiment of God. Mm-hmm. So he recognizes that you are the King and the King happens to be God. And then Jesus says, flesh and blood did not reveal this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I say to you, and he gives them a new name and his, and his name now is rock upon this, or he gives him a name of rock, but it's upon this statement uh-huh. that I will build my church. Right? So, so the rock is the statement that life now can be built upon, not upon shift, the shifting sands of this world system, but our life now can be built on something that lasts forever. Yeah. And that is the revelation that Jesus Christ is the king and that he is God and he is offering himself freely for the world to bring us back to God. And in the same way, and this is the statement that I remember hearing Glasgow said, in the same way, revelation was needed for the foundational rock to be established in our hearts In the same way, we need revelation for every subsequent stone that will be laid upon it Mm -hmm. to build a temple that will be, in fact, a house for God to dwell in forevermore. We need the same way we need revelation from the first one. We need revelation for everyone that follows in keeping with who he is and, you know, what he's revealed. Because we can't just adopt what we think. The Mm -hmm. gospel is God is telling us. He's narrating who he is. Yeah. The beauty
0: of the prophet, priest, king, that he is the ruler, yet a prophet, yet the priest. Priest representing man to God, prophet representing God to men, king over all. All of these attributes, as Charles Spurgeon said, is there not a charm in his every feature? Each one of these aspects of Christ are so beautiful that to see them causes an attraction in the heart. And and I feel like people that don't have an attraction to Christ, it's because they don't see the aspects of who he is, what it means in his internal character and nature revealed in him being all of these things for us and to us. I, I just, I just feel like I side with Charles Spurgeon and saying that it is a lack of understanding that causes a negligence towards Christ. If we saw him in the way that he's revealing himself in the gospel, it will do something inside of a man. And it will attract him to the
1: man, to, to Christ. You know, do you think it's true? Yeah, where the, where the light shines dim, eyes don't see well. And that's where blindness takes place. And where blindness takes place, that's where offense springs up. It's interesting because when Christ is revealed in the first century, in the flesh, God in the flesh, the people that were so longing for his, his arrival, by and large, of course, there was a remnant, his disciples, and those that followed him. But by and large, the people were offended with his coming and when Jesus will return, as we see in the book of Revelation, when he returns to judge the nations, and in fact, to make all things new. I mean, he is not just going to restore Eden to the, to the earth. He's going to restore Eden to the cosmos, and not only is he going to restore Eden to the cosmos, it's going to be Eden 2.0, far greater than what Eden was in its original setting. So, I mean, we would think like, oh, my goodness, right? I mean, don't human nature longs for, for utopia, to come and, 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 and you know, um, reclaim our existence. But interestingly enough, we read in the book of Revelation, by and large, the nations will be offended with the fact that he's coming back to return. And so it has, it's, it, it has to speak to the fact that mankind is blinded to the glory of God in the face of Jesus. And as a result, they're offended. It also makes me think about, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, it makes me think about the parable of what we would call the prodigal son or the wasteful son in Luke 15. It compares two brothers. And so I, I look at Jesus's first coming. He reveals the lamb nature of his inward parts when they were expecting the, the, the king that rules from the throne in power. And they were offended. And they were offended by the way he chose to conquer and rule. Where it says "king of the Jews," but you see a mangled man on a piece of wood. But then when he returns back, and he splits the sky, and he judges the evil, and he and he kills the antichrist and and the false prophet, and he calls all men to account. Men are offended (laughs) with him, right? Because they were they were hoping that he would come back, and you know we yes, I want you to come back and bless us and make everything great in you. But like you're not going to actually have Like you want to say so over all of my life. I owe you an explanation. Like all of my time and being belongs to you. Like you literally want to rule every, is that just like a term that's used? Do you know what I mean? But I think about like the prodigal son and they're both slaves. I know we like to think about the the, the prodigals being a slave, but they're really both slaves. They're both blind to the father. Mm -hmm. The first son, in essence, when he's asking for his inheritance on the front end, that's something that you received when your father passed away. Right in ancient times, you would receive this inheritance when your father passed away. What he's saying, in essence, is I know I can't live and do the things that I want to do in your home with you while you're alive. But if I had the money that will one day come to me, I could go ahead and blow it on prostitutes and, 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 and you know, drunkenness and the things that he ends up doing in a very far away and distant land. I know I can't do it here under your rule and supervision. So I'll go do it somewhere else. So really in my heart, I wish you were dead because if you were, I would get the benefits of Mm. you not being in the picture, but the gifts that you give that are part of you. And I can go do what I want to do, right? That's the offended with his kingly rule. But then you have the the other brother who, when, when the prodigal is brought back in, Who's offended with the nature of the father that he would accept him back in? Remember, the, he sees his father, you know, in an honor of shame, and, and I'm sorry, in a culture of shame and honor, the Middle East honor shame culture. His this this his father running to right running to this 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 wasteful this honorable son, embracing him, kissing him, putting the ring, the cloak, the party, all of it. You know what I mean? And and his statement is, "I've been with you all this time, and this son of yours, not even my brother, this son of yours." the way that you're like you're stooping down and embarrassing yourself in essence, like the, the older brother saying by, by bringing him back in when he spent the fortune and the wealth and, the, and, and, and took your grace and trampled upon it upon prostitutes, et cetera. But I've been with you all this time and serving mm-hmm. to be noticed by you. And the father says, what are you talking about? Right. You've always been with me and you haven't, f- you could have all these things are nothing but mere uh you know representations of who, of who I am and you haven't enjoyed right like you are at you are in need of enjoyment when the source of all enjoyment and all of it is it's all yours. They're both blind. So one is it offended, so the, the older brother I would see as as the first century audience. And, and then we see the prodigal as the return of the Lord. But both, have, I think, have, you know, both of them, I, have, I think, have crossed over throughout all generations. But what do you think about that? What, what, what do you think about the idea that the blinding turns to offense mm. and in essence rejection through one of two ways? Either we're offended by the fact that he's a lamb or we're offended by the fact that he's a king. In fact, the one is the source of his of his rule, and it turns into a rejection because we're blind. Right? Both sons were blind to the one whom the the one in whose house they were living.
0: Yeah, I think it's a classic case of music is worthless to the deaf. You know, like you said, once once a blinding, once the blinding happens, or once the blinding is there. It doesn't matter how beautiful the the Lord is presents himself if the blinders are there you can't see it. Like if I describe colors to a blind man, it's like he has no appreciation for it whatsoever. We need the Holy Ghost to open our eyes to see the splendor and majesty of who Jesus is without spiritual wisdom and understanding. I think that's why Paul prays in almost every letter when he prays, he's praying for some type of a sight. In in Colossians, ways he say spiritual wisdom and understanding. That's a, that's a sight. In Ephesians, he asks for their eyes to be opened. We have these prayers. Holy Spirit, open our eyes, because that's where, like you said, that's where the real understanding of Christ comes in. And then, you know, once you see Him in his beauty, in his splendor, it pulls your heart and you say, oh, how I long for you to rule my life. I love your nature. I love the way that you are. You are wonderful. You are just and you are true. And I bow to you. I think that's the, that's the essence, even as you, you brought it out earlier, that the God of this world blinds the minds of the unbelievers, those who will not surrender to the Lord, the unbelievers, so that they will not see the glories of Christ. Um, Let me ask you this. Speaking of the gospel, speaking of the reality of it in our daily lives, how would you say the gospel that saved you? Let's say it like this. How are you standing in the gospel you received more specifically today as you live your life i mean it's late over there right uh as you live your life today how is the gospel that you received being stood in in your in your life even today
1: yes that's a great question so i would say paul talks about how we stand by faith by faith we stand in the gospel And so faith to me speaks of not just like giving mental assent to a fact, but it speaks about a relational and ongoing trust Mm -hmm. with a living person, with the living God. So faith is a position that I stand in despite what my feelings say, or I may see around me but it's anchored in a living trust it's not just anchored in just a, you know a statement that i that i listen to and rehearse every once in a while and uh, faith even even in in the in the new testament the word for faith and faithfulness i think it's pistis and pisteo i believe it is but it's it's a derivative of faithfulness is a derivative of faith And faithfulness, I believe, is derived from faith. But faith, in essence, is is a trust. It's a leaning. And so when, when I think about Adam and Eve, what the serpent sought to do, he was the most cunning of all the creatures that God had created, of all God's creatures. And what he sought to do is to breach trust. And once he planted the seed of mistrust in, in Eve's heart, she now reached out to grab onto the throne. The fruit, of course, of the knowledge of the true uh, of the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But she reached out. In essence, I believe she mimicked what Satan himself did in the pride of his own heart whenever he fell there. that grab for the throne. You know what I mean? And so, uh, and, and in the same way, they fell is the same way that we stand it's by it's by faith that we stand and faith is is a real ongoing trust that breathes faithfulness and it's by the lack of it that we fall Hmm. so where 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 my heart if my heart can be filled with doubt or broken trust, lack of trust, if I'm not leaning into his person for the knowledge, the ongoing reception of the knowledge of God. Because the more I know him, the more I lean into him, the more I know him. And I'm leaning into the truth of who I know that he is based upon the revelation of the gospel. He's revealed himself to me, not just in a statement, in an experience. So I have the statement to hold on to, but I have a living experience. So now I lean into the truth of what he said. And I lean into the truth of what, of what he has shown me, as Paul talks about here in 1 Corinthians 15. And the more I lean in, the more I know him. The more I know him, the more I'm provoked and empowered mm-hmm. and enamored with love for him. Mm-hmm. And then the more I love him, the more that that, reveal, that manifests itself in a very real way in me being faithful to him. Mm-hmm. Because he calls me to covenant. He calls me to a, a real covenant relationship into a real covenant I'm faithful to him I obey him because it's it's a love fueled obedience yes. but it all started with trust so i would say faith i would say the presence of faith causes me to stand the lack of faith causes me to fall mm-hmm.
0: so if somebody says to you let's say i'm an un, not an unbeliever but a new believer and i say dave how do i stand in the gospel practically Every day, I want to live by the gospel like you do. how How do I do that? What can I practically do to make sure that I'm standing in the gospel, or as you as you say, an ongoing trust? How how can I do that?
1: Yeah, I I would say uh, you want your mind to be filled with truth. Satan, like you quoted from from Second Corinthians, ever seeks to blind. All of his strategies are summarized in one: ever seeks to blind the minds of and it's, interestingly enough he says the unbelieving hmm. right he, he, he wants to keep our minds in the place of unbelief so that we would not see so wow. that, so the way we thwart or combat unbelief is seeing we look at his face and so in the scriptures we have the unfolding of the gospel and in the gospel we have the unfolding of the face of God in the man Christ Jesus so I would say filling our minds With the truth of the gospel concerning the person of Jesus and then engaging our hearts, even as Jesus, and I think we've talked about this before on different occasions, the road to Emmaus, they're blinded to Jesus walking with them on the road to Emmaus post-resurrection. Their offense with the fact that he came as a lamb has blinded them. (laughs) Jesus is walking with them, and how does he bring his disciples back to himself? Although they're not one of the 12, they're still disciples. He speaks to them concerning the scriptures, their hearts start to burn, and then they commune. They invite him in. No, no, no. I need you. Come close. It's not enough. Don't leave. No, no, don't leave. We must sit down, meaning we're not in a rush. Come into our homes, meaning invade my, my, my secret places, in, invade my space and my time. Come come into my life sit down with me. I'm not an, When you're sitting down with somebody, it's not just st- there's, you know, the, the message of sit, walk, stand, you know, it's when you, when you're, when you're sitting with someone, you're there to, to be there for a while with them. And it's there once they, they have nowhere else to go and nothing else to do. We're going to, we're going to engage with one another. It's there that he breaks the bread and it's there that their eyes are opened and they recognize the crisis. So I would say that that, that's a healthy pattern to follow. Fill your minds with the truth. Let your heart burn with the revelation of who he is. Engage him in communion and conversation. And to whatever measure that we are blind, certainly more light will come. And the light begins in the heart, but then it, it starts to awaken the eyes and stimulate the stimulate the senses and it empowers our, our physical frail yet to be glorified beings to love him and to, and to, and to witness him and to obey him.
0: That's great.
1: You want to, uh, you want to pray for the viewers? Sure. Yes. Thank you, Lord. (laughs) Thank you for the gospel. Lord, we love you. Thank you for the gospel in which we stand by which We were saved. May the grace of God continue to be poured out upon every listener that we would hold fast to the word that was preached. Lord, let us hold fast concerning your revelation, the the revelation of your nature as king and as lamb through the cross and as the one who appears the witness of the spirit. Lord, I pray. Lord, strengthen every heart. Reveal the glory and the beauty and the majesty of the crucified King Mm -hmm. to every heart. Mm -hmm. Cause us to come alive, Lord, to you and to stand in that which saves us as we have been saved, are being saved, and look to the return of the Lord where we will be saved and be one with you forever. Amen. 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 Praise God.